Section 2 of Going Abroad, Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Going Abroad, Some Advice by Robert Luce. Chapter 2. Where to Go. It is a mooted question whether it is or is not wise to plan all the details of a foreign trip before leaving home. I have heard the advice of one sightseer to the effect that every day should be assigned its work, and no deviation from the program should ever be admitted. His theory is that if you allow yourself to loiter in one place, you must hurry in another, and so return with things undone that you ought to have done. To my mind, that is making travel too much like hard work. Suppose it rains on the day you have assigned to the Bois de Boulogne or Vesuvius. Suppose somebody tells you that some out-of-the-way place you have never heard of, with customs or curiosities or a festival more interesting than anything you will see in Paris or Vienna, a place at which, without trouble, you can stop off for a day or two. Suppose the voyage takes two days longer than you expected. Or the cholera breaks out in some town on your program. It is possible to take a Bradshaw, the timetable book, and determine beforehand every train you will use. That may be better than haphazard traveling, with no plan at all, but to my mind the happy mean is better, a rough outline of what you want to do, with details left to circumstances. As a basis for this outline, get the pamphlets issued by the tourist companies and study the excursions they describe. The routes have been arranged by men who, for business purposes, have watched the preference of thousands of tourists and have struck averages. They have sought to learn the pleasantest thing for the largest number, and their conclusions are more likely to suit the majority of cases than the prejudiced verdict of any one traveler. Bad weather or an attack of dyspepsia may give any one man a prejudice against a place that to most men, at most seasons, will be delightful. Note carefully, however, the proportion between the times allotted to each place and the duration of the whole tour. A flying party can do Florence in two days, but an assiduous explorer could not cover all the ground in a week, possibly not in a month. On the other hand, Geneva's sites can be exhausted in a day, and nobody tarries there long, unless it be for rest or study. For Sightseeing As many men, so many minds and rash is the man who tries to lay down the law as to what places must or must not be seen, as to how much time should be spent here and must be spent there. Yet it is perfectly safe to say that the great majority of foreign tourists find Paris the most interesting city in Europe, and that no trip is complete without it. In the Louvre, it has the finest art collections, in the boulevards, the finest streets, in the Bois de Boulogne, the handsomest park, in its cafes is the best cooking, its opera house leads the world. At Versailles, St. Cloud, and Fontainebleau, easily accessible suburbs, are the most magnificent of royal estates, still really royal, though nominally republican. Everybody knows it sets the fashions for all the ladies of the globe, and to most people its historical associations have more vitality than those of any other city. But the general opinion of tourists seems to be that it should not be visited early in an extended tour. After seeing it, many other cities seem dull, stale, or trite by comparison. That visited first would have charmed. Paris, then, 
may well cap the climax. Everybody goes to Paris. Almost everybody goes to London. Yet my own verdict would be that it is not so materially different from an American city as to make it preferable to many of the quainter places on the continent, if one has not the time for all. But there are few people who would not like to see Westminster Abbey and the Tower, London Bridge, and the British Museum, to say nothing of Madame Tussaud's wax figures. Rural England is more delightful than urban England. It would be a pity to miss a run through the English countryside with a visit to some of the cathedral towns, Oxford, and perhaps the Lake District. Ireland is not a sinquanon by which I do not mean to say it is uninteresting, far from that, but it is less interesting to most people than Wales or Scotland. A week or two among the lochs and over moor and mountain should be welcome to anybody who knows his Walter Scott, his William Black, or his Robert Burns. From Scotland or northern England you may, if you like, cross to Norway and Sweden. The trip to the land of the midnight sun is now the proper thing, and a most enjoyable thing. The fjords have some of the grandest scenery on earth, and there are waterfalls prodigious enough to be marvels for anybody who has not seen Canada. The people are charming, and have not yet learned that the end of the nineteenth century is at hand. Russia is beyond the bounds of an ordinary trip. It may not be true that only the adventurous get as far as St. Petersburg and Moscow, but it is true that the railroad rides such sightseeing requires are long and tiresome, that the expense is not inconsiderable, and that there is little to see except the people themselves, their ways and their manners, which, to be sure, is no small thing. Indeed, it is the most useful of all sightseeing. Yet, in the case of Russia, certainly not worth the effort for anyone whose time is limited, or whose purse is not weighty. Copenhagen is a pleasant city, but Denmark appears to attract few tourists. Holland is far more popular, and it is well worth while to plan for at least a week there, surely taking in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and The Hague, with stops at Leiden, Harlem, and some of the small towns. Amsterdam and The Hague alone will suffice to give an idea of the country, if time presses. Belgium is less attractive. Antwerp has a noted gallery, a famous cathedral, and a picturesque castle. Brussels has Waterloo nearby, but the city itself is a miniature Paris, and will hardly detain the wayfarer longer than will be necessary to enjoy its wonderful old square. Everybody goes up or down the Rhine, between Cologne, or better, Bonn, and Mainz, Mainz, or Wiesbaden, nearby. The lower Rhine is not worth seeing, and there are Americans loyal enough to assert that the best scenery anywhere along its course is surpassed by that of the Hudson, the St. Lawrence, the Penobscot, and other American rivers. But, of course, we haven't any castles on our rivers, and our scanty legends have not yet been immortalized in song and story. Nobody misses Cologne's cathedral. At Bonn, not far away, or at Heidelberg, not far from Mainz, it is easy to get a glimpse of German student life, and at Heidelberg, too, is perhaps the most interesting of European castles. The scenery about Heidelberg is almost as charming as that about Baden, still farther up the valley. Strasbourg, just beyond, has a clock that disappoints most Americans, but that they all want to see. The Black Forest, between Baden and Switzerland, 
is worth traversing by train if in no more adequate way berlin not very picturesque is rather too far eastward for the bulk of tourist travel and can safely be left out if need be though of course not to be omitted by the man who wants to see the prussian at home to view the capital of the most powerful people on the continent and to visit potsdam leipzig is an old-fashioned saxon university town and a musical center an economical place for a rest and with many advantages for study dresden has one of the most satisfying galleries in europe and delights about fifteen thousand visitors a year prague is thoroughly quaint and justifies whatever effort may be made to reach it vienna is in the opinion of many more delightful than paris its public buildings its collections its merry careless life are attractions that charm all visitors if time permits a trip down the danube at least as far as budapest is likely to be entertaining south of austria come servia bulgaria and other little known lands that the wiseacres say are going to be favorite of touring grounds though as yet their hotel accommodations are not such as to free their inspection from all discomforts returning toward the west the next stop would naturally be at munich unless the traveller made straight for venice munich too has its galleries and its beer gardens nuremberg much smaller pleases me more and for my part were i to name the place in all europe that has given me the most pleasure nuremberg would be that place switzerland is incomparable there may be higher peaks elsewhere more stupendous glaciers but nowhere else is so much mountain scenery so accessible so conveniently safely and economically accessible the guidebooks will suggest a score of ways to traverse it yet i will suggest that if a tourist has but a week or ten days at his command for switzerland he might do much worse than start at lucerne go up one side of rigi and down the other to flugen thence to gottingen and the rhone glacier next to Meringen and Interlaken. After the side trip of a day to Lauterbrunnen, etc., on to Bern, south to Lausanne, by Vevi and the castle of Chillon, up the Rhone Valley to Martigny, across to Chamonix, at the foot of Mont Blanc, and then down to Geneva, and so out of the country. This combination of diligence riding, three or four mountain passes, perhaps the most delightful lakes in the world and the quaintest of swiss cities makes a tour not to be surpassed anywhere for views variety novelty and continuous delight but it leaves out zermatt in the belief of many the best of all swiss resorts if possible ride into italy or walk over one of the passes rather than through one of the tunnels all the passes are worth seeing but the simplon from Brig to Domo di Osola, is the best. Next in scenic rank is the Splugen, from Cor to Colico. The Gart St. Bernard is now not much used, and the St. Gothard less still. The railroad journey over the Brenner Pass is charming, and if you can linger in the Tyrol, at Innsbruck, Trent, or any of the resorts, so much the better. The scenery on the rail route from Vienna to Venice is perhaps the best to be seen from the cars you see little going to turin by the mont Cenis route the only other entrance to italy commonly used is that along the riviera 
from Nice to Genoa, a delightful ride. In hot weather, a glimpse of Italy can be secured without risk of discomfort by going over the Simplon to Lake Maggiore, thence to Milan, back to Lake Como, across to Lugano, and over the St. Gothard to Lucerne. Tourists who take in only northern Italy wisely spend their energies on Venice, Florence, Genoa, and Milan, with a few hours at Pisa, and possibly a stop at Verona and Padua. There is little to see at Turin. At least a side excursion of a day or two from Milan should be made through the chief Italian lakes, and they are worth a week from those who have leisure. The Lago di Garda, close by the route from the Tyrol to Venice, is not often visited by Americans, but the slight digression from the route it requires will never be regretted. On the way from Florence to Rome, stops should certainly be made at Orvieto and Siena, possibly at Perugia. A month or even more will not exhaust the sights of Rome, with all its ruins, its museums, its galleries excelling even those of Florence, and its four hundred churches. Naples will repay a week's stay. Two weeks will enable the sightseer to climb Vesuvius, explore Pompeii, and make the tour of the Amalfi Sorrento Promontory, most charming of Edens, giving a day or two at Capri, with its wonderful blue grotto, and a month about Naples would not be tiresome. Between Naples and Sicily there is little of interest, and not many Americans reach Sicily. Excursions to Corsica and Sardinia are pleasantly remembered by all who take them, barring the almost inevitable seasickness of the passage. Besides Nice, Monaco, Monte Carlo, and Montone, there are few places in southern France familiar to American tourists, save, of course, Marseille. On the road to Paris, Lyon is worth a stay overnight. Between Mont Cenis and Paris, Aix-de-Bains, during the bathing season, from April on, is another pleasant place to break a journey. Southwest of Paris is Touraine and the Valley of the Loire, with its charming chateaus and stately cathedrals, a region too much neglected by those in search of the beautiful, but like Normandy, explored more and more every year by delighted bicyclists. Brittany allures the artist. North of Paris, Every enthusiast on architecture will tell you that you must not miss the cathedrals of Rouen and Amiens, and Rouen has much more than its cathedral, for it is the Nuremberg of France. In Spain, Madrid is the most familiar name, but with your choice between Madrid and the two weeks in southern Spain, take the land of the Moor, see the Alhambra at Granada, the Mosque at Cordoba, the Alcazar at Seville, glance at Cadiz, sit sherry in the bodegas at Jerez, bask in the frown of the gigantic rock of Gibraltar, and run across for a day or two in Tangier, barbarous outpost of barbarism. Where you may yet see genuine slaves, find in the thoroughly Moorish marketplace a fanatic with a sword stuck through his leg, and sleep in the land of one of the few perfectly absolute monarchs yet remaining on the globe, in an English hotel, with all the comforts of civilization, including perhaps the only finger bowls you will find in a whole European tour. Algiers is now half-civilized, with streets as Frenchy as if they were in Paris, next Moorish lanes, with mosques and minarets, and all the ways of the Oriental. From there, you may go by trains to the edge of the desert, or into mountain scenery grand and savage. At Tunis, again, you may find almost complete barbarism, and at Cairo, Lately become a favorite goal of the traveler, 
there are the same novelties of another civilization. The tour of the Holy Land is now made with the minimum of discomfort and the maximum of safety. When the unspeakable Turk isn't embroiled with European powers, Constantinople is visited with impunity and delight. Asia Minor, however, is seldom penetrated. Of Greece, more than a word should be said. Within a generation it has taken great strides in catching up with the rest of the world, and Athens today is nearly as modern as any other European capital. Its hotels, streets, customs are all more than endurable, and its ruins are of course of the greatest interest to the student. But, off the beaten tracks, foreigners suffer more or less hardship, and women would better not venture, unless they are willing to put up with privations. The same thing is true of Spain, where many people go. You find cleanliness, good cooking, comfort. But go into the villages of Spain or any country away from the heart of Europe, and the habits of life are too primitive for the enjoyment of many tourists. Of course, this brief sketch does not suggest all the delightful spots of Europe. Let it be taken as a rough enumeration of those which most travelers will prefer to see or take the time to see. In Search of Health To discuss the matter of health resorts, let me introduce my friend Bean. He shall be the Solon, the Solomon, the Nestor of this treatise, and at the same time its scapegoat. I suspect he stole much of the wisdom I may attribute to him, but it will be convenient to assume that he knows what he is talking about. If he makes any errors, don't blame me. As he has the pernicious habit of writing anonymously, and voluminously, for the newspapers, there is a chance that he may really be responsible for some of the things he must father willy-nilly. If it wasn't Bean, who was it that wrote the following? Quote, France is particularly well endowed with winter resorts suitable for persons with chest disorders not to speak of Algeria, which is an exceptionally favorable resort for this class of patient, there is along the shore of the Mediterranean, from the Khan to Menton, following the magnificent Cornish Road, a narrow strip of land, a true paradise on earth, where, during the worst seasons, the temperature remains between 55 and 60 degrees, and between October and May there are more than 100 clear cloudless days. In this succession of towns, of which there are a dozen at least, the effect of the wonderful climate is heightened by the fact that the patients are surrounded by all the luxury and comforts of modern life. In the southwest of France there is another group of winter resorts, equally famous, but answering to rather special indications. Thus, in sight of the Pyrenees we have Amélie de Bain, Pau, with its marvelously even climate and dry sedative atmosphere, and Biarritz, with its bracing sea breezes, while Arcachon, near Bordeaux, is renowned for its lovely pine forests. No better counsel can be given to persons with heart disease than to pass the winter months in a soft and bracing climate, such as they will find at Belou, Menton, Hiers, or Algiers, especially as the sea air is usually beneficial to them. They should use every effort to avoid sudden changes of temperature and an atmosphere too highly charged with moisture. In choosing an abode, they should look for one that has an open situation, while at the same time not exposed to the winds. For this reason, they will find it best to live in valleys, rather than on hills. Exposure to cold is the most important of all the causes that may bring on an attack of uremia in the course of a case of chronic nephritis, or inflammation of the kidneys, which may have remained latent up to that time. By causing a congestive condition of the kidneys, Exposure to the action of a low temperature reduces the function of those organs to a minimum, 
whence the conclusion from a therapeutical point of view that a patient suffering from nephritis should avoid with the utmost pains sudden variations in temperature and life in cold and damp climates when the renal disorder is acute the steady and regular heat of the bed is the condition sine qua non of a rational treatment but with a chronic lesion that is to say with real bright's disease the patient should wear flannel or woolen garments and if living in a bad climate emigrate to a spot with warm and regular temperature such as hiers monte carlo menton san remo malaga ajaccio palermo corfu algiers or biscra the action of cold is unfavorable to all neuropathic persons and such sufferers should lose no time at the approach of winter in taking themselves off to regions that are inaccessible to frost hiers arcachon menton monaco and algeria and a number of resorts in italy where the temperature remains in the neighborhood of fifty to fifty five fahrenheit can be cited as examples of suitable winter stations for such patients climates like theirs keep patients alive indefinitely and have a remarkable sedative action the highest and most constant expression of which is the fact that persons who have lost the habit of sleeping almost entirely regain it at these resorts nice is perhaps the cheapest of all the french southern coast towns of today for the visitors its hotels and pensions outnumber those of Cannes and monte carlo together and you can live modestly at seven francs or a dollar fifty a day and up to twenty-five francs or five dollars in luxury and add as much more as you like for wine and special rooms lady murray has opened a home at antibes near nice for invalid journalists and writers of all nationalities at the very modest charge of one pound a week the house is called chateau de l'esperience and stands in its own extensive gardens application for admission should be made to the honorable lady murray illa victoria Khan. the home is closed every year from may to november Khan has been for a century the most aristocratic of all the riviera resorts it is useless for the stranger to go there with an idea of taking part in its social life unless he has the good letters of introduction to prominent residents for living expenses you may begin at eight francs in a pension and run up to thirty francs a day at a hotel and as much more as you like for wine and private apartments nearly all the wealthy visitors live in villas doctors commend sestri for the humidity of the atmosphere which is greater than on the western riviera sestri also has a smaller rainfall which is not inconsistent with the softer damper air although it may appear to be so excessive dryness is what makes many parts of the mediterranean coast so trying to nervous persons the more humid air of sestri is subject to much less violent variations of temperature in the course of the twenty-four hours than are the greater number of southern winter stations it is breezy that is the air is not stagnant is often renewed and to this fact the local wiseacres attribute sestri's immunity from epidemics the volcanic region of Auvergne is in the very centre of france and served by two direct lines of rail from paris the true Auvergne spas are royat the most fashionable with its iron effervescent waters at which gathers sufferers from lymphatic affections anemia chlorosis catarrhal troubles arthritic and certain other phases of gout la berboule 
with arsenical waters frequented by somewhat the same class of patient as the former plus more suffering from rheumatism intermittent fevers and malarial effects mont d'or where the special treatment by inhalations of affections of the respiratory organs is the foremost specialty and where gather singers actors clergymen and public speakers who remain in a room filled with vapor and spray for half an hour at a time saint nectaire saint marguerite mandegu chateau guillon and chateauneuf complete the group of averni spas but are of small importance as compared to the three described above americans resident in france are found in considerable numbers at royat and a few at mont d'or and it is often remarked that having been once they return again the country is lovely in june and again in september intervening months are very hot although tempered by frequent thunderstorms aix les bains in southeastern france on the line from paris to the mont Cenis tunnel and turin is perhaps the most delightful spa for early visitors gout and rheumatism are treated there with remarkable success the season opens in april hamburg in the taunus mountains of germany not far from frankfurt is the most fashionable spa in europe more english and americans go there than to any other the prince of wales the duke of cambridge and all the distinguished people who are found at Caen in the winter are grouped at hamburg in the months of july and august then the season is at its height but it opens april fifteenth and lasts until august first pension rates are very moderate in april may june and september the usual course of water drinking is twenty-one days but without medical advice no one should use the waters for any length of time they are salutary in chronic diseases of the stomach bowels and liver habitual constipation chronic diarrhea jaundice gout for excessive corpulency anemia and various nervous affections nauheim not far from hamburg has sprung into favor within a decade and bids fair to be the first curative spa in germany the engadine in southeastern switzerland is the most noted resort for tuberculosis patients its great altitude gives its effects similar to those of the american colorado the hotels are chiefly inhabited by invalids summer and winter alike on the adriatic is abazia a winter resort that has crept into favor of recent years the situation is charming the wooded coastline giving protection against all inclement blasts and producing an evenness of temperature not known in the most sheltered bays of the french riviera moreover in summer it is not so hot as the riviera resorts frost and snow are practically unknown and tropical vegetation is abundant and luxurious Close quote. there are many other health resorts in europe to describe the various advantages claimed for all of them would be a long task and one of really little avail for the invalid should resort to them only on the advice of some physician acquainted with their merits and demerits any american who can afford to go to europe to get cured can afford to pay for the advice of a physician competent to speak with authority on this point likewise to know where to go for some difficult surgical operation consult a specialist before leaving home dr lynn in his guide to the health resorts of europe not only urges preliminary consultation with a physician and deprecates acting on the advice of friends not in the medical profession but also counsels a course of preparatory treatment before visiting a health resort dr lynn says that many of the mineral water cures have fixed the duration of treatment quite arbitrarily at three weeks 
but that in reality every one requires a longer or shorter time, depending on many conditions for which the doctors at the stations are in the habit of watching. It may, however, be remarked that at many strong mineral springs, most people become saturated with the mineral elements, as it were, in from three to four weeks, and then it is wiser to rest for a longer or shorter time before taking a new course of baths or waters. The results of mineral water cures very often do not show themselves for some time after the cure has been made, as the mineral elements continue to work in the system for a long time after taking them into the body. It must be understood that it is very often necessary to take more than one summer's treatment at many of the health resorts. Indeed, it is not reasonable to expect a complete cure of a chronic malady in one season, although it often happens. This is even more true of climatic cures. No fallacy is more widely spread, and none is less based on reason and experience, than the expectation of immediate or rapid cure from change in climate. Competent physicians abroad, as a rule, charge 20 francs, 16 shillings, 4 dollars, for first consultations and visits. The specialists, 40 to 60 francs, 8 to 12 dollars. For instance, Professor Charlecott and such men expect 60 francs at the office, and about 100 for a visit. In England, two guineas, about $10.20, is the usual fee for consultations. Gentle practitioners take less for continuous attendance. Head baths, it is usual to charge a certain sum for the season. End of chapter 2